Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends, the weekly spin-off podcast which usually isn't recorded in a large cavernous echoey living room where a washing machine is literally doing a, it's going to do a spin cycle shortly and then dad, our machine is going to play a jazzy little up-tempo kind of um, little, little, little song that we like to dance to every time our clothes are ready. Mm, that sounds bizarre and weird. Yeah, well, if that's not loose ends, then I don't know what is. How are you doing today, Dad? I am on the cusp of something very exciting. And what is that? Now, Paul, during the week, uh, there was some chat in New South Wales about bringing in new legislation. Uh, I asked you about it, and you you were immediately very keen, excited, and, and in favour. Would yeah. you perhaps like to, A, tell me and the listeners what this legislation pertains to and how you arrived at your particular um, take on, on, on this particular piece of legislation, should it be passed. Your, what struck me the most was that your, you had something of an objection. Mm. Not an objection, but you, you had a strong reaction. I called you up and said there's a legislation basically meaning you can't get parole unless... If, if there's a body that the, um, the state wants to know where it is, and mm. you're applying for parole, you have to basically tell them where the body is or you mm. can't get out that that's it kind of boiled down to its simplest terms is that correct that's spot on and it's kind of come about i i often find and i think listeners hopefully will um at least agree on this particular point that is that Mm -hmm. politicians are very much in a reactive job something happens there's a backlash there's public sentiment and you know they then sometimes it's, it's a knee jerk reaction Mm-hmm. Uh, because I guess you know they're in. They've got their tiny little minds, their tiny little term of, in Parliament, and they go off and you know just vanish. And it's pathetic in terms of you know. Oh, fucking don't start me. But, so what you're saying um, is that there, there is there is a finite amount of time within which a politician can capitalise on yes. the buzz around a specific movement. Like sometimes it's it, it's uh, cynical, sometimes it is genuine, but oftentimes. Change is glacial because uh, politics is an inherently cowardly yes. Uh, yeah. profession. Yes, that's yes. right. And and Paul, just after we've discussed this, please also remind mm. me to talk to the listeners about. You know, they've had this big commission into drugs in New South Wales, so I think that's also quite interesting and worth discussing after this particular thing. But mm. okay, so you know, they've got the um, the the school teacher. That was, uh, you know, he, he went to Cromer High, which is where your mother went. Yes. And, you know, things were different on the northern beaches back in the 70s slash 80s. And this particular uh, school teacher, he was extradited mm-hmm. from Queensland and he was found guilty by a judge, no jury, a few weeks ago. And he is now spending time at Her Majesty. Whoa. At His Majesty's pleasure. There we go. So, the thing is, the government are saying, look, he will never, no one will ever get parole if they've been found guilty of murder unless they show the family or whoever, you know, the relatives where the body is. That is such a problematic sort of concept. Why? Okay. Firstly, what happens... If you recall the statistic I mentioned a few weeks ago that one mm. in eight 
Americans that get the death penalty that actually are executed, one in eight, are later found to be innocent. Oh, I see. So you're saying that if they're innocent, they can't tell you where the body Correct. is. How on oh, earth can they? How can they? Yeah. How can they? And then, of course, society is going to say it's it's a lose lose situation for mm, people yeah. that have been incarcerated, charged, commit, and, and found guilty of a of a indictable offence. Uh, mm-hmm. In this case, murder. Yeah. Um, some would argue that is the most serious offence that can be committed. Although I I feel that um, you know sexual offences can be sort of more sort of um, you know long lasting in terms of trauma but um, so that's that's kind of problematic uh, also what is that noise is that your dancing uh, machine I'm so sorry if the, you picked the worst time to say what you were saying hang on I think there's some more coming sorry about that I told you it was going to happen, and you chose to plow into the most disturbing stuff you possibly could, but that's fine. Uh, Okay. Yes, so um, you were talking about uh, which crime was worse than murder. Regardless of what's worse than murder or not, Mm. um, what's the upshot here? Yeah, so you're in, in, you know, you've you've got a custodial sentence, and you have a chance of parole. It's very, very rare in our society to basically, and to use that colloquialism, to, to throw away the keys. It's a, it's it's a very very it's a rare occurrence. You know the lady we chatted about. You know that that you know made the suit, the skin suit of her. Oh yeah, of her partner. Yeah, and, yeah. And hung it and did all sorts of things to his head, uh, which involved cooking. Mm. Um, I guess in that particular case, the only troublesome ingredient was the head, because the veggies were okay. But you make stock probably. You stock. Know. Yeah. yeah. So. Problem being, well, she, that woman, is the only female, to my knowledge, uh, it's very, very rare. She was certainly the first never to be released. But, okay, so you murder someone, there's no body, and they say, okay, to get parole, you need to show us where the body is. Okay, firstly, if you're innocent, the judge, our legal system is not infallible, as we know. Uh, Okay, here's another thing, Paul. What happens if you murdered someone and you actually did it, and you took them out to sea, and you just threw them over the side of a boat. Right, and you said, well, it's in the ocean. Yeah. And they're like, well, unless you find it, you can't get out of prison. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's insane. So that's problematic as well. I think when people start to think about this objectively and sort of look at all the the pros and cons, Mm. I find it a little bit haphazard in its, uh, the way it was sort of, brought to the fore but but okay. i'm not surprised with with politicians at all yeah i completely agree the, now look you've turned me on this i actually hadn't thought of it that way that is a very good point mm. uh yeah and what was the other thing oh that's right um okay, oh, so we've had a big commission into into drugs in new south wales mm-hmm. and the medical world the police lots of organizations were in favor of decriminalisation. And yesterday it was announced by our Premier, and I was a bit, I must admit, I was a bit disappointed. And they they agreed to uh, pretty well all of the findings except the decriminalisation. So, of, what? of, you know, marijuana and a couple, a couple of drugs. But look, 
you know, it's a political thing. But when you've got the police, the New South Wales Police Force actually backing uh, the findings to say, look, you know, we need to sort of look at this a bit differently. I mean, it's a fact, of course, with when you make something illegal or prohibition, it just it just pushes it underground. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. you know, and, and Thailand have just, um, you, you know how you used to be able to go and you still can go into, they, they call them coffee shops uh, in Amsterdam. And yes. you can just buy, you know, all the different hash and, and, and <clears throat> marijuana and all, all that sort of, and have been able to do it for a long time. And I'm sure it contributed to, to a part of their GDP in terms of tourism within mm-hmm. Europe. Yep. The same thing has happened in Thailand. In the last few months, uh, you can go to an, like a normal shopping center, which we will take you and Tegan to when we all go over next time, and you can buy marijuana. And you can buy hash oil uh, because it's been decriminalized. Yep. And you know there are schools of thought. And, um, of course, not everyone listening to this um, will, will agree with my, my views, but um, you know, and then there's the other argument, of course, with with if you make something legal, the people that control and do sort of you know these crime gangs, they are not just going to pack their bags and just shut shop and you know go and get a normal job. They will simply transfer their their desire and need for for income to other more nefarious. Deeds. I had something I wanted to run by you. Now I'm not sure you never listened to the ser- uh, the podcast Serial, did you? Oh, I did, and I absolutely found it enthralling. Yeah, because the first the first season of Serial is effectively what helped me pitch Loose Units the book, which led to mm. Loose Units the podcast. Yeah. Um, because it you know it it really did help trigger this true crime movement. Now I'm sure that all listeners will know this, but on Monday a Baltimore court uh, ordered the release of Adnan Syed. Um, who was convicted back in 1999 for the murder, the apparent murder of his ex, uh, Heyman Lee. And that's the case that was talked about in the podcast Serial. Mm-hmm. And now they've just released a... I rarely, I rarely recommend that people go and listen to specific true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. But in this case, if you followed Serial, head across to the Serial uh, podcast feed because um, Sarah Koenig did a, I think, a 17-minute update episode about the case. And because I know, look, Tegan, um, Dad strenuously believes that Adnan is guilty um, wow. but agrees but agrees that the court didn't have enough evidence to mm. convict because it's, it's you know it's innocent until proven guilty uh, beyond reasonable doubt and they did there was a lot of reasonable doubt I think he's innocent and I think there's reasonable doubt if you go and listen to the podcast they detail in ways far better than I could the ways in which the court went oh shit yeah this case was an omni shambles and basically we really shouldn't have convicted mm. based on the evidence we had so he's out and uh Experts are saying that the odds of him being retried are extremely low. So mm. for all intents and purposes, Ardan is free. Uh, mm. Do you have any uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I used to listen to it. Uh, and he'd always use the, the telephone, didn't he? And he'd, yes. he'd, he'd phone in and he'd, he'd talk about it. It was so fascinating. So I'm going to re, relive that and then listen to the, the latest episode and just kind of, you know, mm. I do recall taking thought he was guilty, but I have a feeling um, mm-hmm. in the far recesses of my mind that I may have had a contrary, contrary, contrary? Yes, contrary, yeah. yeah. Contrary, yeah, opinion. 
Yeah. I mean, I remember that you and I, uh, I was the only one out of all of the entire group of us, of the Lewis Units family here, which is you, me, Tig, and mum. Uh, I was the only one who thought that the guy from the staircase was innocent. But then, but then I watched the, um, the dramatization with Tony Collette and Colin Firth, mm. which is incredible. And weirdly, that made me think he's guilty. So now <laughs> it doesn't take much because um, mm-hmm. there was a whole lot of stuff that was left out of that. So Yeah. And what about the incredible dramas we're having, which we can touch on in another episode up in Queensland, the Division of Forensic Medicine up there. They're going to have to review, review um, thousands of cases. And it's really heavy. Have you heard about that? No, I didn't hear oh, about it's this. Really, no. It's really, it could be. Look, it's, that's really heavy. Uh, because when you sort of discredit forensics, but <clears throat> we need to, we need to go into that more and sort of look at you know the backstory and get our facts before we sort of start talking about it. But it's that's something that's come to the fore in the last few days. Well, speaking um, of forensics, Dad, something happened yesterday that is specifically related to that that you might be interested in. There was a letter in our mailbox from the Victoria Police saying, "Hey, everyone, uh, I'm not going to name what street we live on, but saying, hey, everyone on Blank Street, uh, don't be alarmed. But over the next few days." Uh, forensics will be doing a basically a drill, like a live exercise on your street. And at one point, there'll be a very loud noise. Don't be alarmed. It's going to, it's gonna, so effectively hell. what they do. Yeah. So I think what they're going to do is stage some sort of fake crime for Incredible. people, you know, like new recruits or whatever. Uh, it could be a shooting. It could be, yes. It could be a, they could be staging a shooting and then having uh, the forensics people rock up and basically engage in a live exercise. What do you think uh, that's going to involve? Uh, well, if they do it properly, it'll be it'll be filmed. They'll have actors or probably police, and they'll yeah. do a, like a shooting. Um, hopefully, they use blanks, and that is on based on the hypothesis that what I'm saying is going to happen. And then they will preserve the crime scene. General Judy's mm. police will cordon it off, and there will be certain evidence uh, at the scene. And then forensics will come in, and they will run through. If you get a chance to sort of uh, try and sort of get a bit of a squiz, and I think you might be able to take into consideration where you live, mm-hmm. you may be able to perhaps get a sense. And I think it'll be really exciting and, and very interesting and see how they how they go about. Uh, I mean, from what you've said, and I know your location, and it's I know it quite well, I have mm-hmm. a feeling that it's going to be uh, it's going to be a shooting. And it could be a drive-by shooting. Uh, it's going to be pretty fascinating. It's really interesting that the Vic Police have actually, I mean, wow, notified everyone. I guess that's yeah. that's prudent. Can you imagine if they were doing something like this and a sort of a good Samaritan saw this happening? And tried to stop it? And tried to stop it. Like a vigilante of some sort tried to stop yeah, the fake and crime. Jump, and oh. jump in front of the car and just and got run over. <sighs> got well, run in that over. case, Dad, just as a as a as a um, well, if yeah, now see, I think this is interesting. No. What I would do is I would have that drill, let them know what's going to happen, I'll get them in position, and then I would have an actor pretending to be a good Samaritan who then gets killed for real in quotes, and then watching them have to adapt to not just the fake crime but also do their job on the on the real crime, which is also fake. No, it's fascinating. Yeah, bloody marvellous. CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, Forensics, Mm -hmm. uh, and everything it entails is bloody exciting. And I've been thinking also about some of the 
the great stories, Paul, that... Mm-hmm. Okay, so just for listeners, for those that are coming to the shows, uh, to both shows in Melbourne, I'm super excited because you're going to hear um, a master storyteller. That's me. On stage. Um, you can cut that out, that bit, if you like, Paul. No, I'll leave it now. I think it's important that people know how how, how, how you view yourself. You know. Well, you know, storytelling's an art. It and is. And I was driving back from Bondi in the rain this morning, and there's this long kind of gradual curve. And I'm in my ute, which is it's a dangerous vehicle. It's very light at the back. You know, wheels spin. And I had this sensation that I was losing control just slightly. The, the back was sort of fishtailing just a little bit. I was doing about 60 kilometers an hour. And then I... From that point all the way home, I had, I'm not going to call them flashbacks, but I did recall two particularly harrowing stories. Uh, one of them involved a motor vehicle and it's it's heavy duty. And I thought, wow, that, that they could be great for the live shows. All right. Try and save that stuff because we've got two shows and we're going to try and mix it up and tell some mm. different stories at each one. Yeah. yeah. That's really because, important. you know, at the end of the day, we we need to appreciate what our mm-hmm. fans really love. Yep. And they Absolutely. love they love listening to someone and of course you're look Paul I think we make a bloody good team and you keep me on track you bring me back as I start to just go all over the shop which I know I do and I'm prone to and I get bloody excited it's like this this rush of just oh, it's such a good feeling. Yeah, and you're very good at it. And I, re- I really look forward to the live shows. That I really I cannot wait. First show, that's totally sold out. And then there's the matinee. I actually think it's time to finish the episode. Um, it's been weirdly packed full of strangely current for us, uh, true crime news. I will report back because I think this forensics thing is happening quite soon. Love I'm it. heading across to Sydney with Tegan. So the next few episodes of Loose Units you will hear will be recorded in the same room, which is amazing. Amazing. But you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't go from, from Melbourne across to Sydney. You could say go, Adelaide. We don't live in Adelaide. Right. You go you're, up you're, to Sydney. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you could say that. Well, you but, do. Mm. Well, no, no, no. You go north. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's up. No, up is a state of mind. I go oh, north. Mate. Uh, I will descend north into the bowels of Sydney. There you go. Love you. Well, love you too, Dad. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio.